Hello and welcome to a very special joint venture podcast today between the Keanon SRB and Red Army Pod. This week, myself and Patricia Vieira sit down with a monster cult hero to recap the Clash of Champions win over the Crusaders. Still feels good to say that. While also discussing his career to date. Having signed for Munster this season, our next guest has taken to Limerick life with ease and has become a real fan favourite. Trisha, have you any idea who I could be on about there? Do you, any, do you yeah, want to introduce him? Yeah, I can see him. So, you know, <laughs> but, um, we are joined by Alex Langabell. Alex, how are you getting on? I'm very well, thank you. It's it's absolutely a pleasure to have you here. Um, I think everybody sort of guessed when we said, like, this is a, a Munster player who's probably popular with the fans. Everyone was like, you know, this guy's in my Instagram DMs. It's obviously Alex Nankabell. <laughs> it's important to stress we're in his DMs as opposed to the it's other true. way around. It's true. <laughs> what was that like, Alex? Because when you signed for Munster, I didn't notice at the time. I thought I was one of the only ones doing it late at night, you know. But if apparently you got an, a barrage of messages from Munster fans when you signed. Yeah, mate. It was actually, it was, it blew me away a little bit. Like the support from the fans and the people I guess in the Munster region um, has been outstanding and I guess everyone was just trying to make me feel welcome so um, I tried my best to kind of get back to everyone and just give them a message so they know that I've kind of received their, their DM or, or something like that so uh, it's been very it's very been very overwhelming yeah and this is proof that you did get back to most people because you go back to me <laughs> anyways so I mean the proof is in the pudding right there um Trisha, you were in Cork on Saturday night. I think Alex was in Cork on Saturday night as well. Will we start with that? I think it's a good place I mean, to start. I couldn't see that much from, so like, I'm going to assume that Alex was there. You know, I could see <laughs> I could see shapes and players, but the, you know, you're, you're used to being a bit closer to the pitch. But Alex, I suppose, like, congratulations on being world champion, first of all, is, is sort of the main <laughs> thing. You know, Munster are the best team who've ever played rugby officially now. So that's that's got to be hugely exciting for yourself. Oh yeah, it is. To be the best in the world. It's outstanding. <laughs> and I suppose for you personally, even to have had another crack off the Crusaders, like I know coming from Super Rugby, you would have had, you know, sort of plenty of history with the Crusaders. And I think every Munster supporter got up early to watch that Super Rugby final last season. Did it feel a little bit sort of, was there a little bit extra on it for you, I suppose, with the fact that it was the Crusaders and it was, they were coming to sort of your new patch and you got to have another crack off them? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, being so dominant, the Crusaders have won what the last six or seven years in New Zealand. So mm-hmm. um, there's a few things like being from Christchurch, growing up there, supporting them, uh, being in the academy down in Christchurch when I left school, um, to having like a lot of good, uh, sorry, a lot of good mates playing in that team, um, and then also just like the record we had against them at the Chiefs. Um, they always got the better of us, um, especially in those big games, like in the finals. So, um, yeah, it's always going to be a special day for myself, yeah. Were you sort of secretly hoping that that conversion wouldn't go over at the end, like not plotting for other players' downfalls or anything, but was there a party <laughs> that was like, you know, it'd be really great if this one wasn't a draw now? Um, well, obviously, like, you play rugby to, to win games, right? So for whoever you're playing for, that's the case. So I, I was, but... Um, Hate to say it, like Rivers, who was kicking the goal, Rivers Ray Hunter. I actually played with him at the Chiefs, and he's a good mate of mine. He's a bloody top bloke. So I'm um, gutted for him because I know how kind of well, I don't know personally, but I can imagine how much those yeah. kind of miss kicks hurt in kind of key moments. So um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame, but that's I guess that's rugby. Eh? I, I know it least... was. Oh, oh, go on, go on. 
I was just going to say, at least they've got Bristol this week, I'm pretty sure. So, like, mm-hmm. they have a chance for redemption. We, you know, we obviously, we've got our medals and all that, so that's great. <laughs> but at least they have a chance at redemption. But I was just going to ask, Alex, because you wouldn't have played the game of Porky Queeb last year. And, like, I un- I understand it's it's more of a historical thing for, for Irish people. But what did, what was that like, running out in Porky Queeb for the first time, compared to, I know Thomond is great, but, like, it's it's different, too. Yeah, it's it was incredible. Like from whoever I talked to around the game and around the stadium, they said it's outstanding. And then to have a sold out kind of stadium in itself for an exhibition game um, was pretty pretty cool. So I'm just making like those even the European games like that that game in the weekend like just experiences that you would never get kind of over my side of the world in New Zealand. So um, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool to be a part of it. And I mean, I think we're all delighted that you are a part of it. It's one of those where you sign a player and like as a supporter of a club, a player comes up and it's sort of as soon as you see them play for five minutes, you're like, yeah, I think this player is going to get on well here. You sort of feel like you found a monster player in a sense. I guess with this this game against the Crusaders, like I know it was a friendly and it was an exhibition game and all that. But like, I suppose for yourselves within the squad, was there... Was there an importance to it? Like, did it feel like, I don't know, like an opportunity, I suppose, to to get a win and sort of kickstart going into this next block of games? Like, was there anything to take from it other than the occasion itself, I suppose? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, given the Six Nations are on and you guys would have seen the amount of injuries we had, it's kind of the first game that we had an opportunity as like a team to give some guys, I guess, an opportunity to play that haven't really had too many minutes and then also younger guys um, in the group who might not have even got a game this season if we didn't have this picture. So um, it just brings the morale in the group, like up the excitement levels up, the energy levels up, kind of going into this next block um, with Scarlets and then Harlequins and then a few others. So because um, it is an important block, like it's a, it's a bit of a different dynamic for me. I'm trying to get my head around it, but um, like when you don't have your international players, like other guys have got to kind of step into the, into the team and, um, kind of put their best foot forward and so that we can kind of win these games because, uh, yeah, like the results have kind of been up and down a little bit. Like we should have probably should have won a few of those games um, in last year and then in January. So um, it's an important block for us to get some points in the URC especially. Does that feel sort of more frustrating looking back at that block of games? And like you say, it has been a bit up and down feeling like, maybe Munster should have won like most of, if not all of those games. Does that make the losses sort of more frustrating within the squad or is it easier to focus on the sort of, you know, we're so nearly there, we're so close kind of side of it? It's a bit of both. Like, I guess from the performances, like we're so close in the scoreboard, but then potentially we haven't been consistent around our performance throughout the whole game. So I guess that gives us confidence knowing that we potentially should have beaten these teams. Um, I know we didn't on the day, but like this proof in the pudding, like the way we played against Toulon, kind of those games, like we can beat those big teams. Um, and then also like you learn more from losing close games. So um, yeah, it gives us confidence. It is, but then again, it is more frustrating because if you get beaten by 20 odd points and you're like, oh, we're, we're kind of beaten yeah. by a better team on the day, but because it's been close margins, um, it does hurt a lot more. Yeah. That's that's interesting because you mentioned as well the the injuries, which 
I I don't know which European which game it was that it was a big thing. I think it was the Connacht game, if I'm right, Patricia. But there was there was like 19 players on the injury list at one point in January, and like obviously morale can kind of go up and down around the same time. What was it like then, and and what's it like now? I suppose now that you kind of have a big win, and you know obviously players do well for Ireland or different things as well. Yeah, it was tough to be honest. Like after that St Stephen's game, um, there's a few boys that have played a lot of minutes and few kind of short-term things and then watching the Connacht game like you see Oli Yagi get knocked out you see Jack C do his knee um, and then we're just like oh this is grim um, especially being in the middle of winter it's cold and like morale's kind and of a little bit you're, low anyway you're in Galway you're in Galway <laughs> in ah, stop not yeah. wrong with Galway now let's <laughs> um, so yeah it was a little bit grim but then I think getting back on the horse against Toulon was huge for us um, and then like I said like seeing some younger guys get an opportunity and I guess seeing the you see the smiles on their faces and the energy lift when I think the guys that don't necessarily get as many minutes as others kind of get those opportunities like I touched on before. So I think we're in a good place in terms of that at the moment. Um, now we've just got to kind of put the performance on the field. I would agree. I think like I know the performances, the performances have sort of been what they've been and the, the results, I suppose, have been what's been up and down. But like, I suppose maybe from a supporter point of view, it's, it's like a bit of last season playing into it as well. I know you weren't involved last season, but it was that sort of late season run where you went like things will start picking up and like with the players starting to come back, it felt like Saturday could be like a sort of a, a kickoff for that. Like I suppose a kickstart to this next block of games now. And obviously that big sort of, it feels like a rematch now in Northampton after the Six Nations. Yeah, hopefully. Um, that's what we've talked about. You've pretty much nailed it. Like we just keep kind of doing what we're doing, and um, like we've seen it on the training field, like the way we train, and we've seen glimpses of it. Um, not complete performances yet, but um, we kind of just keep doing what we can do, preparing really well, and um, then those results might end up our way. Even though hoping that the last ones did anyway, but um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like I've got a lot of faith in the coaches. Like I've been really impressed by them. Um, and what they deliver to the group. So um, it's just for us to keep preparing well and trying to be consistent as we can. Just just going back to this week, Alex, because obviously, you know, there, there was a bigger squad named, I think was it was a 10-man bench and things like that. And like it, it managed to incorporate most of the squad that, were, that was fully fit, which was pretty cool. But you guys who were playing AIL regu- regularly before this, who were kind of leapfrogged in, what's training like in a week like that where you're kind of, I know it's an exhibition game and things like that, but you're obviously fully focused. But you know, it's it's a very different looking squad without you know Ty Byrne, Peter Mahoney, guys like that. Yeah, it was it was a lot different. Like obviously the energy um, was there, given like kind of the spectacle it was going to be in the weekend. Um, but it was completely different. Like pretty much like your nine tens different. Like all these different combinations have changed, so it does take a little bit of. I guess, a bit of time for those guys to find their feet a little bit together. So, like, um, Tuesday, if I'm being honest, our Tuesday training was pretty scrappy. Like, we made a lot of mistakes as a group and kind of weren't nailing the things that we pride ourselves on. Um, but I guess that's just, the, like I said before, like those learnings, like, you learn a lot from kind of failing, I guess. So, um, then we trained Thursday. We trained really well. Um, and I guess it's probably getting a bit of that, kind of angst or nervousness some of those lads might have had coming in like especially the young boys for like such a big game um, getting rid of that um, and then going again Thursday and then 
Um, obviously, you showed in the weekend. Like the lads played outstanding. Um, I, yeah. I feel like we pretty much dominated the whole game. Um, it didn't show on the scoreboard, but um, I guess you guys were there and or you saw the game, and um, you could probably agree with me there. So um, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, I think Graham said the same thing post game that he he felt like being fourteen seven up at halftime wasn't a fair reflection. That that's how he, how strong he felt about the first half, and I think that's that's fair enough. And if there's something to be said about if the squad are feeling the same way as well, as opposed to just media speak, because yeah. you know if, if you're confident going in a half time against, it's it's important to remember a very strong Crusaders team. Then obviously something was going right as well. It wasn't just you know uh, just hand the ball to Gavin Coombs and he'll score, which he did. But like <laughs> it's not all on that either. No, no, you're exactly right. Um, and we we did feel good in the changing room. Like, chats we had um, were pretty much around that. Like, we're kind of just dominating everything. We're dominating territory, which is huge. Like, we're playing most of the rugby down their, their half and making it tough for them to exit. Um, so, yeah, we were very confident going back out at halftime. I think you've sort of, you've been one of the constants, I suppose, throughout this, this sort of run of injuries. There's been a lot of, obvious chopping and changing because of just because of injuries but you've sort of been there pretty much throughout and like obviously you're one of the newer players in the squad and certainly from from watching the games from sort of an outsider point of view it really felt like you hit the ground running it was like you just sort of showed up and you just slotted in like you'd been there did it did it feel like that I suppose like when you first came to Munster sort of I know it was it wasn't right at the start of the season because you had the the NPC and and look I'm not gonna lie. We were all kind of wanting Tasman to lose. We were like, "Can we just get this guy? Can we just get this guy to Ireland, please?" Not all but, of um... us. I wanted to see another player arrive home with a medal, like Orge and Sean Clayne, But like, okay. Um, but like for for yourself, I suppose, like when you first arrived, did it feel? Did you feel like you were playing catch up? Because it certainly didn't didn't look like that on the pitch. I suppose. Oh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, to be fair, it did in terms of like the the content and the way we play. Um, like I just come off a NPC season, so in terms of like physically, I was actually not fresh. I wouldn't say fresh, but I was um, definitely game fit. So it was easy kind of adjustment in terms of that. Um, once I kind of got used to training and got over the jet lags and things like that, so um, I'd say it probably took me a good eight, like eight weeks to be fully confident and like understanding the game. And there was a lot of habits. Not bad habits, but we play differently in New Zealand, just like the small little details that they do differently over here that I'd kind of have to process in my head um, probably and think about too much during those first few few weeks. So I feel like I've got most of them um, changed, oh, not, not completely changed, but kind of um, like small bit changed some of those habits. So I don't have to think as much about what I'm doing now. Um, I definitely feel a lot more free on the field, like, not having to think as much and um so yeah it's uh it's been good and probably that continuity is like that's all you can ask mm-hmm. as a rugby player just to play rugby um that's definitely helped with that learning of the of the different kind of style so uh, it's been really good just on you know you settling in and all that and obviously it does take a while but i think patricia and i w- would be of the opinion that you settle in really really quickly from a supporter's point of view but like What's Mike Prendergast like initially as as a backs coach? Because obviously, very highly thought of. He's a very good coach. But did he kind of simplify things down, or or what was his kind of angle as to get you up to speed on on how Munster play? Yeah, Prendy's uh oh, he's awesome. Um, like just as a person too, 
first and foremost, like I think the relationship between a player and a coach, if you can kind of break the ice quickly so you trust one another, then everything's a lot easier. So that's that's where it started, I think. And then like they're all very good at kind of taking the expectation off me a little bit around knowing everything straight away. Because um, in rugby, like things aren't too different. Um, like things aren't too complicated. So like you kind of get a sense of what we're trying to achieve in our game. Um, it's just kind of, like I said, breaking those habits of old and kind of learning a little bit. So um, I think that just took the pressure off and um, through the training and doing it every day pretty much and playing games, um, kind of got to the stage where I am now where I'm pretty confident and can understand the system very well. So, um, yeah, he's been awesome for me, yeah. A lot of lot of players and, and you know, current coaches, former coaches rave about him, so not really too surprised, but... I also asked John Lane this question, so I kind of have to ask you what's what's Graham like compared to other coaches? Because he's not, he's certainly not the the hard nosed type that he's going to you know effing and blind and give it out to you every five minutes. But he's certainly from from the older style, and it feels like he's got a good mix of of thing of the old and the new style of of coaching. Yeah, um, he's an awesome guy. Like from my chats before I come over. You can tell he's got a good sense of humour and he cares a lot about the club and um and the people here. Um and he's been it's been awesome to me, just been honest around kind of where I sit and things like that. And that's all you can really ask for like the head coach, the guy in charge is just their honesty. So um he's re- he's awesome, like you said, like he doesn't but he goes spraying anyone. Um he'll keep you honest, but he does it in his own way. And um for me he's communicated really well around a few things that I could potentially um change in my game in terms of like Sometimes I carry on a bit too much while get a bit too animated and things like that. So um, he's awesome. And then obviously the key to being a good coach is managing your assistants really well. And um, it seemed like from the outside looking looking at that group, like they've got a really good dynamic. Um, they seem to get along really well. And um, I think that's really important because if you, you get your assistant coaches doing what you need to put the team in the right direction, then um, yeah, you're going to be going to be doing good things. So. But I can't really compare him because he, I guess it's a bit different, like style in New Zealand. Um, kind of the the coaches that coaches of old have kind of transitioned out a little bit more, so um, it's a little bit newer in terms of like that traditional kind of hard nose kind of thing you were just mentioning. So, yeah. Did Warren Gatland have an element of that when he came down to the Chiefs? Was it a sort of did it feel like a Northern Hemisphere? I know he's he's a New Zealander himself, but did it feel like a Northern Hemisphere coach coming into the Super Rugby environment? I guess because of how much time his how much of his coaching career has been with you know with Wales and the Lions and and teams in the north in the Northern Hemisphere game. You can you can definitely tell by his style, like um, like it's just a, it's a bit different. It's the same to work like oh, sorry Graham. Mm. Um, it's almost like a manager of the coaches in a way it's like he definitely sits back and um like uses the assistance expertise and to drive the team so it was a bit hard though like he came in for a year and then he was on Lions tour so to be fair to Gats like it'd be tough to come in and try and implement too many things when he's leaving and then another coach is coming in so Mm. um but talking to him throughout that 2020 year like he's very knowledgeable Warren is and you can tell like that influence he kind of had probably playing in New Zealand then going over to the Northern Hemisphere you could see little bits and pieces that he'd picked up um, 
but mostly around like the game management stuff and things like that and defense um, that we probably didn't really think about too much in New Zealand. So um, we definitely had a few gems. I suppose for yourself, like obviously you're a New Zealand guy, you've played New Zealand rugby sort of your whole life, I suppose. What, what sort of goes through your head when you get a, I guess, a, a phone call saying, you know, Monster are interested in you? Like what I suppose goes into making the decision of, yeah, I am, I am going to move to play for Munster. Like what was your idea of Munster sort of when they first got in touch saying that they were interested in, in signing you? Uh, well, I was, yeah, I was stoked. Um, like to me, Munster before I'd come as one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, and as just a rugby fan, um, playing video games and whatnot, like um, like a, what like the history that it has, obviously being the All Blacks um, back in the day, like I, it was like a pretty insane opportunity for myself. And so they actually come back. Uh, they got in touch with me twice. So and then the other part was that obviously ready to leave New Zealand and um, mm-hmm. explore kind of options overseas. So um, they came calling in 2021 and I wasn't quite ready to go still want to chase that all that dream um, and then it went quiet um, a bit there kind of December 2022 maybe in December um, and they came back in January 2023 and the rest history so I was um, pretty wrapped that um, Wig gave me the call there. I suppose you were in the sort of rare position that you had you know you weren't the only sort of young New Zealand talent coming up from the Chiefs that year like you brought John Ryan with you and you sort of <laughs> you had your, what was it like having someone I suppose who could who could like did you talk to John about it like was it something you know about what's Munster like like should I take it having someone with the experience that he has playing for Munster there to sort of help you through it I guess yeah so it actually panned out like I don't even know John um at the time okay like when this um, announcement of the signing happened, he actually arrived in New Zealand that day. So I met him on that day. So uh, I actually talked to Rugby Reese, Reese Marshall. You guys, oh, okay. I'm sure you guys know who yeah. he is. Um, so one of my mates played for the Landers and got his phone number and gave him a call and pretty much just asked him what it was like. And I had a few other mates that I knew had been to Ireland and had only said good things about it. And But he kind of gave me a bit more of an insight into Munster and, yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty easy decision to be honest. Like, yeah, I did did explore other options in ter- terms of hearing other teams out, um, and around the shop. But I always kind of had a feeling like I was going to sign the contract and come over here. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just you know when it feels right, it does. So, yeah, hundred um, percent. After the, that, sorry, oh, fire away. I was after that when John did arrive. There was a million questions to ask, and he's been awesome. So yeah. yeah. Uh, apologies that I'm a little bit behind with the Wi-Fi issues but you did mention video games and all that we will get to that at the end because I really want to pick your brain on that but <laughs> a lot of players when they kind of when they sign a new contract or different things a, a bit of pressure comes off and it must be said your run your run of form for the, for, for the Crusaders apologies for the Chiefs last year was really really good including the final did it help the fact that you knew what was in store the following year and you knew that you know kind of a new lease of life in in some regards yeah definitely um i guess having that security knowing that you're going somewhere outside of new zealand so um because for super rugby players in new zealand and where i was at i was always chasing that all black dream and i guess like i'd kind of learned not to let that kind of take 
take advantage of my process and the week to week kind of thing um, over the years. But there's always that little thing like I've got to play well, like if I want to get picked in this team kind of thing. So I guess knowing that, like it did take a lot of pressure off. Like I could just enjoy it a lot more. Um, I didn't really have too much expectation. Like I wanted to try and make the All Blacks and play in the World Cup. Like that was still a goal, but I guess there was that little less expectation on myself knowing that I've had a pretty awesome opportunity to come over to Ireland and play for Munster. So um, yeah, it was handy. <laughs> and and how do you find Ireland? Like I suppose Ireland and New Zealand sort of get this reputation of being quite similar countries to live in. Um, I know like I have friends who have emigrated and New Zealand looks way better than Ireland from my <laughs> point of view. But what what was it like, I suppose, sort of the non-rugby side of of moving across the world like that? Oh, yeah, but I guess the stereotype's so true. Like, it's it's pretty much New Zealand, but the opposite side of the world. Um, and the the climate might be a little bit worse, but um, we won't <laughs> talk about that. Um, yeah, to be honest, it's been the easiest transition. Um, I did have a little bit of anxiety, as you would, kind of not knowing too many people. Yeah, of and course. Um, Obviously, it's a big trip for me coming 30 hours to the opposite side of the world. But, yeah, it's not a day I was worried or missed home at all I obviously miss my mates and my family and things like things like that but mm. like I haven't kind of wanted to go back or anything like that yet so I guess it's probably a credit to the Irish people they're probably a little bit more how do you say it I guess a bit more outgoing and like they'll, they'll reach out a lot more than I guess Kiwis do Kiwis are a bit more private and not not completely. It's a very bad way to say it, but Irish Irish way. people, you know Irish I mean? people, like, just sort of talk your ear off and just yeah. sort of br- bring I was you say in. Nosy. Say, <laughs> yeah, well, you could, could could say that, but um, it's not like it's it's been like an easy thing for me, like having all those people reaching out, like we talked about at the start, like people messaging you on Instagram or even people in the street, kind of saying g'day and go down the sauna and they hear my accent. Like, oh, you're the new months signing. They have a yarn about it, so. Uh, it's been very it's been very easy yeah no that's great to hear I guess like obviously you know we love Munster but I I can't imagine moving to Ireland and Limerick being the place you moved to like you said about the climate there I I don't think I've ever been in a place with the worst like consistently bad weather than Limerick it's just (laughs) just so gray all the time but like it's so so good to hear that you've like you've settled well and like we said on the pitch it, it, it looked seamless like it didn't it never looked like a sort of trying to plug in a new player, I suppose. Um, a lot of people sort of give Super Rugby this reputation of it's a lot less intense than rugby up here. And I don't know if that's just because we're sort of, you know, we like our rugby more. But what what's it like, the sort of URC compared to Super Rugby? Like, does it feel different sort of week to week? Um, it does, to be honest. Um, I think... Like it's it's hard to compare them because like they're two completely different competitions. Um, mm-hmm. We're playing against teams from like more countries, um, and there's more teams. So like in New Zealand, you play the New Zealand teams a lot, and like those games are like like test matches. Yeah. Um, whereas here, you kind of you go play the Italians or you go play the South Africans, and like the completely different styles of rugby and completely different body shapes and athletes. So. I guess it's too it's too hard to compare, like, um, and you've got these dynamics where international players are coming in and out and getting rested and things because of the Six Nations and coming up. So, um, but it's, it's definitely hard. Like, it's a great competition, um, and like you you feel you feel the hits, um, and I guess maybe that has something to do with when it 
does rain, it rains. So um, the game tightens up a little bit more and you have to change the way you play a little bit. So um, I guess I had to play a few more games to figure it out. But um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, they're both kind of on par of being awesome kind of fixtures and um, intensities, I guess. You're probably not playing as many games in yellow weather warnings in New Zealand as you have had to do since you joined Munster. Not not in Dunedin, yeah. anyways. That's that's one place. But you mentioned like the difference. But one thing that would definitely be difference is playing European rugby. So you're playing like a French team, like Bayonne, one of the biggest French teams, um, in terms of raw size. Um, Exeter, you know, they're very different to say Northampton and different things. Like, and obviously you'll have the trip to South Africa coming the end of the end of March, early April, I think. Is that kind of exciting as a player? As this kind of dare I say a selling point when you come up to Munster and you go play URC and there's you literally get to play players from all over whereas Super Rugby is that more condensed even though it's it's a lot of fun to, to play and to watch and it's intense but is it diff not different but you know like is that kind of something that excites you when you get the opportunity to play your Bayons your Toulons etc oh yeah big time and I guess after the first game um, you kind of get a taste for what it's like playing a team like the French or just massive. Uh, but then everything that comes along with it, like the whole occasion is just incredible. Like the fans are crazy. I even go to Toulon and walking around after the game and there's bloody 5,000 Munster fans, like the whole bloody stands painted red. Um, that's something you'll never, I don't think you'll necessarily get in, this, in the Southern Hemisphere, just given, I guess, travel is not as easy and convenient. So um, people don't tend to travel the, the distance um so yeah it's if teams don't use it as a selling point they definitely should start doing it because um it's actually an incredible um um experience and it's a shame we only play four games because it'd be nice to play another couple more and get to experience a few different more occasions like that more route sorry more round games we could have home had away, six like home games. And away. Home and away. <laughs> that, that, that's the way it used to be. And look, we won't yeah. get started on the old format because we'd be here all night. But um, I think <laughs> that that Northampton game sort of feels like that in a way. It almost feels like the old style back-to-backs with the fact that they just came to Thoman Park and now you get to go to them. Like, does it feel... I know that there are URC games between now and then and, and obviously you're, you're building game by game and you're not looking ahead. But is that has that sort of been there you know throughout the weeks especially with it going a bit more quiet with the six nations on is it something that's sort of there uh, I think so like I think it has been touched on uh, personally like I don't really get too far ahead of myself and mm. um, I'm not too emotional like well like I'm an emotional guy but like I don't let the kind of results affect it too much because I know like how it can affect me and I can hold on to things and affects kind of the way I train and play so um but that definitely I mentioned it around like growing our game or kind of making little tweaks and improvements um over these kind of the last week just been and then the next few weeks coming up that we have to get right to when we face Northampton again obviously in the round of 16 so um I think in the for the club it's always going to be there like um, it's interesting one playing them straight after the last round game, but um, I don't really know too much about that. So, <laughs> just on the the kind of the European element and the fact that Patricia mentioned, you know, the players going to Six Nations, that 
Super Rugby is kind of NFL-like in the fact that you get like maybe one or two bye weeks, but it's it's a straight run. Whereas Northern Hemisphere Rugby, like obviously you'd know your players gone to the World Cup, then they come back. A couple of players have to be dropped out for Ireland, you know, um, player management protocols. You got the Six Nations on now. As a player who's new to that environment, like how does how do coaches manage it? Because like. I suppose it's just it's constant chopping and changing up here. Whether I don't think it affects the product, but like it, it is constantly changing. Yeah, it's a it's a that's a really good question. Uh, I don't really know to be honest. Um, I guess it's just like load management, especially for guys that have been in the whole time through chop and change. So like, there's got to be a stage where they're looked after a little bit throughout the week, uh, maybe meaning less kind of training load. Because at the end of the day, like we need our body and we need to be kind of as, as good as we can be physically to perform at our best. So um, there's got a little bit, of, got to be a little bit of give and take in terms of that. And the SNC and the coaches have been really good. Um, like I know for myself, I've been looked after pretty well um, the last kind of six weeks around my body and just keeping me fresh for the weekend. So in terms of like the new guys chopping and changing, it's a hard one because obviously the team gets named or they kind of name a team that's potentially going to be playing in the weekend and um, they do most of the reps um, as you would leading into a game in the weekend. So I guess it can sometimes be on the individual a little bit there, like knowing that, understand the situation we're in and guys are going to be dropping out for Six Nations or being rested or whatnot, that if they're next in line or they're a potential to jump in for that jersey, then they've got to kind of put their best foot forward and that's to do it at training and um, the way we train, like we get a lot of opportunity if you're in the starting team or in the 23 and if you're not to kind of put your best foot forward and train well. Um, so, yeah, I don't really answer your question very well. But... <laughs> no, no, I, I, I see where you're going with it. Sure. Yourself and, and Antoine Frisch in, in the centres there have been sort of one of the most consistent partnerships in this whole, like the chopping and changing with player management and with injuries you two have sort of seemed to weather most of that is it is it exciting to get to come over and sort of start building that new partnership does it feel like you know you are sort of building a partnership as opposed like you're not worried about chopping and changing from your end like playing with with Antoine like that yeah obviously it's nice like consistency with some playing with someone is really important um and like for me, I never have never played with a lot of these guys, so kind of mm. learning who they are as people and their personalities is also really important on top of the way they play. So um, it's always nice. But like I said, like it's for me, it's week to week. So um, I'm not really too focused about the future of like our midfield partnership because we've got a lot of other great midfielders like Sean O'Brien, who's been playing on the wing, Rory Scannell, who's been in the team for years, like mm. who are who are very good players and can step in as well. So um I guess that we kinda do when we get put together, we do try and make the effort to kind of just learn about each other and um we've got a good relationship off the field, me and Frishy, which always helps like in a in a relationship you can be honest with each other around things and help each other out. So um yeah, you just try to do that as much as you can, um, if you're put together and yeah, just for the bedroom of the team, really. It's nice that even the players are sort of waiting for the day that Sean O'Brien gets to play in the centre because I just feel so bad for it. This guy every week, it's just like Sean O'Brien is playing on the wing again. And like yeah. he's had a really good string of performances out there, but it's it's obviously not where 
I'm sure he wants to play. It's not where sort of we all envisioned him playing. It was just, oh, it, it it feels like it's been that kind of season for Munster in a way. Yeah, it's it's a tough one for Shawnee. Like as a midfielder, the last thing you want is oh, <laughs> not necessarily like you want to be on the field, obviously, but um, you can't always. I don't know. Like what you're me, saying is play... you're you're not volunteering <laughs> to play on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I just want to play in my position that I'm comfortable with and I can completely understand like position position he's in. I had to do it uh twenty twenty two, I think, at the Chiefs. I had to play on the wing a wee bit and um you can kind of get a bit frustrated like I used to a little bit. Um but he's doing a good job and I'm sure his time will come. Like even the lads talk about it like what you just said, like he's gets put on the wing or whatever, but the things he does at training, like the man's got the most outrageous skill set. He's silky, he's a big boy, um, and he's just like, like his instincts of the game are really just pretty incredible. So um, I'm sure it'll come. Like we can't, just me and Frishy can't play in the midfield the whole time, and um, there's going to be injuries and things like that. And um, I'm excited to see him when he gets back and get some time there as well. But in the meantime. He's doing a bloody good job on the wing. And I guess like oh, the nature of the beast is like we've had a lot of injuries in the outsides as well. So um yeah, and again it's a it's a tough one. Like sometimes you just gotta do that for the team if if the team's struggling their position um you needed. So apologies though for another nerdy comparison question, but like you would have played twelve in Super Rugby and, and Super Rugby's you know, at probably a more expansive game, but like your role at Munster with Jack Crowley, who was an absolute baller at 10, or, or Joey Carberry as well. You got Antoine Frisch, who's kind of that link man. You're the, the power option up at 12. What's Is there any major differences or, or similarities between how you would have played it for the Chiefs? Because although I'd have watched you for, for one season, knowing who you are, a lot of people wouldn't have. So what is, what's the main difference of, of playing inside centre with the two clubs? I would say in the Chiefs, if I was playing inside centre, I'd be more distributor. Um, like, so when I played 12 at the Chiefs, I had Quinta Pyre outside me. Um, and like, he was the power before we kind of switched and I went to 13. Um, and then I became like the distributor. So I guess for me in New Zealand, like, I'm not, like, I'm probably just a pretty average size midfielder. Whereas here, I'd say, I don't know, but I'd say maybe I'd be a little bit bigger and, then a few other guys were above average in terms of the size for a midfielder. So um, it's definitely different. Like for me, in, yeah, in New Zealand, like I said, playing for the Chiefs, if I was at 12, I'd definitely be around helping the 10 out in terms of getting the ball to the space or getting the ball to like the crazy outside backs that we had at the Chiefs um, rather than so much just running and trying to get game line. Obviously, that's part of it too, but probably not so much um, in terms of the role that I had there. Um, if they answer your question yeah really interesting how sort of how different you know it's the same game but how it can be so different you know like even the same position between teams I remember like I would have watched a good bit of Super Rugby my dad would always watch more than me just by nature of the fact that he's going to be awake at six o'clock on the Saturday morning and I'm <laughs> yeah. not but I remember like so when the signing got announced he was like oh Munster are signing this guy Alex Nankfeld and I said yeah and he, this guy he can do turnovers and everything like he's going to play so well at Munster and he sort of every time he'd watch a Chiefs game like last season he would just send me like I'd wake up to like 20 messages being like he did this he did this John Ryan just came <laughs> on he did really good in that scrum and it was just like constant updates on yourself and John Ryan and how the sort of the monster players were getting on but it's 
it's so interesting how the same game, I suppose, can be so different across, you know, different teams, different competitions, everything like that. Yeah, it is. It's and it's cool too. Like it's for me, it's you know, like the reason I came over here was to learn, I guess, the different way of playing in a new environment and things like that. And again, like playing thirteen when I played here is completely different to playing thirteen at home. Um, and I guess that's just the nature of teams will play differently and have different systems and different strikes and well, especially here, like defend differently than we do in New Zealand. So um, I guess you kind of learn as you go, like differences and it's been cool for me I guess you get a bit of a taste of everything really now that I played kind of 12 13 in both hemispheres and do you feel like are you one of those players who is sort of like a student of the game because I suppose like rugby is your job and and everybody you know not everybody is interested in their job outside of when they're doing it I suppose but are you one of those people who like consumes rugby do you watch a lot of rugby do you do you sort of study rugby I suppose I used to be a student of the game in a massive way, like watch, like even when I was at school, I we didn't have sports code or anything, which is like the app to, you can code the games and watch instances of the game. I used to, like the game was videoed and I would sit down and watch the whole thing and like rewind it and like kind of like that. So I've always been like that. I've always kind of loved, I guess, the challenge of like coming up with a new idea and putting it out there or things like that. So, um, I can definitely have t- toned it down a bit in terms of watching rugby. Like I don't probably consume the same amount as I used to, um, purely just because you, because you do it every day of your life. Like it's it can get a bit mentally draining um, when you're always kind of watching something to do with rugby. But even when I watch it now, like it's hard not to watch it as a fan. Like you're always kind of seeing what teams does, and um, I hate to say it, but you're often judgmental whether it's good or bad about kind of how a team plays or what they're trying to do. So, um, I don't know. I don't think they'll ever change, to be fair. Like... <laughs> I'll I, I just jump in there. Apologies. We've been nerding out here so far tonight, Alex, which is, you know, this this is what we do. We always nerd yeah, out yeah. on these things. But um, I, I want to touch on a couple of lighter things. I know Patricia has some lighter questions as well, and I, and I do as well. But, uh, you know, uh, one or two at least, and I have a few. But you would have represented the Maori All Blacks and New Zealand XV. And obviously, the Maori All Blacks in particular is a well-known brand above all else. But do you want to just touch on what that is like in terms of an honour, given the heritage and all that and the background? Because it's it's something we all know, but we probably don't know deeply about. So what's that like from a player's perspective? Yeah, it's incredible. Um, it's pretty much just like put on the jersey and you're representing like this whole culture. Um, and it goes so deep um, and it's just like there's just something special about it like representing where you come from um, your family um, and then kind of the tribe and everyone like all the people that have in the background like the tree the family trees are huge so um, like for me it was it was a very interesting journey because um, we actually found my dad's family um, throughout trying to guess making the Māori All Blacks um, which is also special then because we then could specifically identify like who I was representing when I did that and um, wow. it was pretty cool and like, the Maori culture in New Zealand like they're very like supportive people and um, very family orientated so um, it's yeah it's, it was insane to be fair um, and it's, 
the words um, of Liam Messam, I think it was, if you guys know who he was. When you put put the jersey on, it's like you're wearing a severe cape, like you're putting on the severe armor, and that's how it feels. Like you just feel kind of unstoppable when you're wearing it, and um, yeah, there's just so much more behind it, I guess. That's that's really cool to hear because I know it's it's so often said like Maori All Blacks, and we know the name, but like there is so much of a personal element to it, which is just so cool. And I think it's great that rugby has that as well. The fact that you can have this entity or this team entity feels too corporate, but this team that is literally like a family, even though you may only meet the lads the week before, but like, I, it's probably really cool. And it's, is it still as big of a thing in New Zealand as, as before? And now with like New Zealand XV kind of coming into it, has it diminished from it or is it still the big one? Um, I'd say it probably has diminished from it. It hasn't diminished from how significant it is, I guess, and how big a part of rugby it is in New Zealand, um, and what it means to people. Like it's still a massive honour. Um, so it hasn't taken away from that. It's more the fact that I think the development pathway, um, for the All Blacks, and obviously like with the state of international rugby, and um, like you've seen teams like Ireland, obviously. Doing outstanding France, all these teams kind of obviously the Springboks probably getting ahead, a bit ahead of New Zealand probably in the last few years. Um, like that's kind of their way of kind of getting younger guys who they can see being future All Blacks, like a taste of international rugby in a way. So, and then it just broadens it um, where you don't have to be mouldy to obviously make the All Blacks 15. So, just borders the player pool and the amount of development you can get into it for those guys. I'd what say. Was it like, what was it like for you on, on Saturday, I suppose, to face a hacker? Because I guess like you would be so used to being on the other side of that and it's it's something that you sort of grew up around. Like did it feel sort of alien to be stood, you know, facing against it? What was it like to be the opposition to the hacker as opposed to the one laying down the challenge? Uh, it was incredible. Um like I've, I don't think I have faced that Crusaders hack before. Like we did them in COVID, I think, but I don't think I played that game. So actually, to face it live was pretty incredible. Like they did a good job. Um, Sean Wainui, when he was at the Crusaders, was a part of creating that. Do you guys know who he is? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a part of creating that hacker uh, for them when all the teams were doing it. So it was pretty special um, in terms of that. Um, but besides that, yeah, I've faced like. The hacker is a big part of rugby um, in New Zealand, especially kind of at school. Like you would face one every week. So um, I faced a few over the years, uh, but it was pretty cool. Like um, being on the other side of the world, um, seeing all my mates in front of me and they're doing like something of such significance as a hacker to us, um, which I probably didn't really ever dream that I'd be on the other side of one like that um, in Ireland for playing for an Irish team. So yeah, it was very, it was very cool. It was, um, moment yeah and on Munster famously had four players step up and do their own uh, version of the hack in Joe Cowlett Lafimi Maffey Rurich Pokey and Jeremy Manning back in 08 was that mentioned at all during the week I, like <laughs> yeah. were they expecting you to lay down a one man challenge here uh, yeah the lads are talking about it in the change room um, and uh, me and Ollie Jaeger because obviously Ollie knows he would know the Crusaders one and I'm like Mm. there's kind of a bit of debate going on like I don't know like we can't do this and then Ollie obviously didn't play um, and then the lads are still doing like you should get up and do one in France but yeah I couldn't like for the boys like Doug 
Doug Howard and co, when they did it, like they knew the hucker that was kind of being challenged them so they could kind of mm. do it back. And um, if you saw the All Blacks 15 versus Barbarians the other year, like a few of those Barbars lads did it back to us. And um, I'd love to do one back, but I'd, I'd, first of all, I didn't know um, the Crusaders hucker and potentially could have crossed a few um, boundaries in terms of like how things are meant to be done and mouldy them. So I don't want to, you don't really want to do that. Um, you've got to respect that. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was good just watching it through. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. And listen, I think if you had done it, it would have been the biggest roar ever. But, like, we're not going to hold it against you either. But, you know, like, it is it is still a cool kind of way of having it with, you know, there is kind of responses, I suppose, I think is the word that people use. And I know, like, when, when New Zealand play Fiji, I think they play Fiji this summer, for instance. And, you know, they'll have their their um challenge laid down to New Zealand and I, I always find that really cool and some people give out about it but like it is a cool thing to have in in rugby such a physically demanding sport to tie into a cultural you know challenge I think is is really cool isn't it yeah I, I believe so like and it's cool because like of the history of like obviously Māori do it Samoans do it Tongans do it Fijians do it like it goes further back than like we'd ever know. So like back to when they were fighting with bloody arrows and I don't know clubs and whatnot. You know, back in back in the day. So I think it's cool. Like because at the end of the day, rugby, if you boil it down, like it's man versus man. It's a kind of almost like a native kind of sport in a way. Like you're throwing your body into each other, and um, to have that kind of element is pretty cool. I think. So. I know Patricia has one or two questions of of the lighter kind from her other podcast and and I have one or two as well but I do want to start with because we'll wrap things up soon but I do want to start you mentioned video games and and rugby ones and all that so I, I kind of have to get into that because I'm I'm of the John Loma rugby ilk as well and oh, the yeah, listeners yeah. here of the the rugby 08 kind and all that yeah. what was your go-to team when you were growing up because this this will shape the conversation <laughs> yeah Stefan. It's a, it's a tough one. Well, I was always international. Um, and I, I actually love playing with Wales because they had Shane Williams on the left wing. Um, and you just get the ball to him. But my, probably my favorite team to play with was Ireland. Um, and Brian O'Driscoll. And we used to make this joke like, if you got him the ball, like he had a force field because he'd just break every tackle um, and things like that. So. I'd say it was probably one of the Northern Hemisphere teams, like Wales, Ireland, and uh, England with Jason Robinson. Yeah, I think the, the the rugby game that we had growing up was I can't even remember the name of it. I think it was two thousand and four, which doesn't even make sense because there wasn't like what well, that wasn't a World Cup <laughs> year or anything. Um, and they had one team called the Jaguars, and they were just every player was Jonah Lomu. Like it wasn't like they weren't in the team <laughs> sheet as Jonah Lomu. They all had different names, but every player was Jonah Lomu, and you just got to the point where you weren't allowed to be that team in our house because it just cost yeah, you the yeah, arguments yeah. over, you know, you're obviously <laughs> going to win if your team has 15 John Lomers and the other team is like Scotland or someone. Yeah. Or oh, oh, Scotland. It's not even fair, is it? <laughs> and would you have been, like, I know up here, like the FIFA games and soccer and all that, like was the John Lomer rugby games like really big in New Zealand or, or rugby 08? Um, rugby 08 was, was huge. Um, John Lomu rugby is probably a little bit too old for me but we did have it in our prefects lounge at high school so we'd always used to play it and 
Um, I could never kind of get the grasp of it because I didn't play it enough. But rugby, I, and then even when we left school, like we we're kind of at college and so like kind of youngish, I ended up, I found like a PlayStation 2 and Rugby 08 um, on Trade Me, which is like kind of like eBay, but in New Zealand. Um, and bought it and we used to have competitions in the flat and things like that. So um, it was massive for those years. And then I kind of get, guess when the technology started to get a bit too old, then changed to FIFA. Yeah, FIFA is pretty big in New Zealand too. And a few I mean, shooting games. That, that's how we know. That's how Ireland bridged the gap and finally win World Cups. We need to dust off PS2s and get back get back playing Rugby 08 in the private oh, yeah. schools or whatnot. Because if it works for New Zealand, like, it could I've work still got for my us pl- well. I've still got my PlayStation 2. Like, I'll take it out this minute. Start playing Crash Bandicoot. That was our yeah, yeah. sort of... Oh, that was, ne- was a good game too. Great I could never get the hang of the sports games. Like, I was, I really enjoyed fighting games when I was little. So I'd always be like, need somebody to fight against me or I play Crash Bandicoot. For some reason, I just can't get my, I could never get my head around sports games. Like, I was so bad at FIFA. When my little brother got FIFA for the Wii, I was like, you know, this is pointless. I may as well not be here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, just to, to stick with the lighter stuff, because it's been a really good conversation and all that. But you moved, you know, halfway across the world to Ireland and. I know you did some sightseeing during the week with the Crusaders players and all that. What What is Ireland like as a country in terms of, you know, places to go, sites to see? Is there anything you've, that you've enjoyed so far? Yeah, um, it's awesome, eh? Well, obviously, like, it's so different in New Zealand in terms of, like, the history. And, like, you go probably go down to the Black Swan down the road and the pub's older than New Zealand. So, yes, for me, everything like that's kind of pretty cool um, in a way. But uh, we go to, like, Adair, Killaloo, kind of spots around Limerick. Um, cliffs of, been the Cliffs of, I don't know how to say it, Cliffs of Moher. Cliffs of Moher, <laughs> yeah. <Nailed> it. <laughs> um, went there, which is incredible. Um, and then like a few other spots like the Hinch and uh, went down to a sauna there and things like that. But I think like everything's convenient here. Like Ireland as a country is so small compared to New Zealand. Like New Zealand's actually a massive country. So like mm. it actually takes a while to get everywhere um like even flying from city to city would be the same as flying to london from dublin so um i guess the convenience and then the history that it has like the castles going to um blarney was crazy like blew my mind that castle so um definitely got a lot to offer and uh, there's still so much i haven't even seen that i've been told about so um we'll get there at some stage do you surf or play golf Speaking about speaking about convenience traveling in Ireland, like spoken like a man who has never had to get a train from Limerick Junction. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I'm not doing that. (laughs) You really don't. You really don't want. You're dead right too. You'd be sitting there for half an hour. But yeah, yeah, no. Do you do you play any like golf? Do you surf? Is there anything like that that's kind of been pushed in your direction potentially? Um, a little bit, probably more so surfing than golf at this stage. Like, um, Scott Buckley one of the boys I went to Portugal with him and his, him and his mate, they surf a bit. So he, he's always kind of talking about it and he actually offered, I think when he went down today, I don't, I'm not sure if he did or not, but he went down to lunch today um, surfing. So probably more so just the offers going out and I'm not the most confident surfing. So might have to wait until I guess we have a bit more downtime. Maybe he spend a bit more time learning how to do it probably and things like that. But, I did, was actually playing golf big big time in New Zealand for the last three months I was there. Um, 
but then like bringing the clubs over was a bit of a pain so I didn't end up doing that and then obviously um, it's a bit damp out so might have to wait till summer to get the clubs out and go for a hit. It won't be um, less damp in summer. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's the other side. If there's anyone here in a dare manner who wants to like give Alex like a set of clubs and a membership to play there, like we'll do our bid for you, mate. Because you know why not? Like you're gonna be you're gonna be here for a while, hopefully. So like you know hopefully, why yeah. why not on that instance? And like, is there anywhere? I, I'm trying to think, but like, is there anything else about Ireland that is kind of stood out food wise? Um, you mentioned travel food wise. What's that like? Or or we have to mention drink wise. What's what's that like? Uh, drink wise, very good. The uh, Guinness Guinness are outstanding, and I've kind of been able to tell like the differences at different pubs or like if you're drinking it and get Dublin compared to uh, Limerick, which is quite cool. But um, yeah, Guinness outstanding. Like uh, food is actually very good. I've been very impressed. Um, food and coffee, like. I guess that's a lot of our days uh, time spent off is kind of eating and drinking coffee. So um, there's so many good spots in the market uh, for coffee. This price is a state for coffee, but um, <laughs> that's all right. Like happy to pay for a good coffee. So the, I've actually been very impressed by the food. Yeah, it's good. The the Limerick contingent will be desperate to to know. Have you been to Chicken Hut yet? Is it somewhere that that you've crossed paths with, or are you sort of waiting for that that perfect moment? Chicken Hut. Is that in town? Yeah. yeah. I think I have been to Chicken Hut. I think I went after a night out, potentially. Yes, I did, yeah. Perfect. Would have been open then. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not, I honestly can't remember the quality of it, but um, from my kind of blurred rugby memory, that, that it was decent enough. Maybe the quality wasn't that great, but like after a few beers, it was kind of exactly what you needed. No, hundred percent. I think that's that's what it's made for. I suppose, like for myself, <laughs> um, over on the the Rock and Roll podcast, which is sort of my domain, I guess we have a sort of a podcast question that we ask all of our guests, like players, coaches, etc. It, it probably is the most important question you'll be asked, like maybe ever in your life. Um, like I would love to know, Alex Nankavell, what is your favorite biscuit? Oh, so you don't have them over here, the ones that I like. That's fine. Have we you, can yeah. we can have New Zealand biscuits. Okay, so you guys need to try Tim Tam. Oh, we've had Tim Tams, mate. Like I'm in my twenties. I've had friends who have emigrated up the wazoo. Like of course yeah. they've had Tim Tams. Anytime anyone comes, you've had Tim Tams. Okay, you know. Yeah, you know how good Tim Tams are. The yeah. double chocolate Tim Tams in the blue packet are just incredible. That is something that else. Is a, a great they should answer. make them over here. They should actually. That's we you know what we'll bring it to someone, some sort of culture <laughs> secretary or something. We'll start a petition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get someone in the HPC to to write up something on your behalf. <laughs> and you know what? We'll we'll get like James Lowe, James Gibson Park, Bundyaki to sign it as well. You know yeah. the the different yeah. lads they were in New Zealand as well. They'll, they'll probably sign it. But you did mention going for coffees and all that. And myself and Patricia went to college in, in UL, so we know you're all the time going for coffees. What's your go to spot or as well as that, what's your go-to? What's your go-to drink? Um, oh, go-to drink's easy because it's just a flat white every time. Um, oh, go-to spots tough now. Um, if we go to, so I'll give you, I'll give you four. Okay. So we go to Factory in mm-hmm. Castro, Lucky China and Castro. Um, Rift 
in town. And then the old barracks at Bird Hill is probably the most frequently visited ones. Um, really? Yeah. Okay. Probably more so factory and Lacachina just because mm. they're so close. Yeah. Um, but if we want to kind of get out of Castle Troy a little bit, we'll go out to um, Bird Hill out there. Or if we're at Toman Park, we often go past Ruff and, and actually Guji in town. Um, they're outstanding, probably. So. I can't know. I can't... used to be our spot because you could you could never get into Lacachina for all the rugby players that'll be in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that too. We are getting the answers that everyone, you know, everyone wanted here. It's all like anytime I chat to anyone about Limerick, it's you know, coffee is a big thing. You know, so yeah. it's important to get those. But I will end on a deeper question. Now there's probably a right answer and a wrong answer on this, but I asked Sean Klein, <laughs> so I have to ask you as well. Your contract yeah. to twenty twenty five. Could we potentially see you stay in Limerick for longer? And is it that we just have to get Tim Tams over to to make you stay? <laughs> oh, you probably don't even need to get Tim Tams over to be fair. Um, I'm actually loving it at the moment. Um, like I kind of touched on before, I'm not don't really too get too far ahead of myself and think too far ahead. But I'm trying to let that happen. I guess when it's time to make a decision around that, but. Um, if it's anything, if it continues to be anything like it's been, um, then I'd definitely want to stay. Um, and then who knows, like, just trying to figure out whether or not, like, being 31 and trying to play for Ireland's too hard or not. But, um, yeah, like, the people are awesome. Like, everyone's everyone's been great. Like, I've already um, created pretty good relationships with the lads in the team. And, and, like, it is an awesome spot. It's close to Europe and everything's so convenient. So. Um, if you're asking me today, I'd I'd definitely be staying. That's great to hear. That's so lovely to hear. Yeah, yeah. And you're enjoying <laughs> yourself, which I think is the most important part yeah. here. We're, like we're not. There's no sign here being held up, being like you have to stay or whatever. You you're enjoying <laughs> yourself, and I think that's that's probably what's special about Munster as as one of the places. I think everyone gets they get sucked into it eventually, and I think for you it was it was very quickly that you bought into the the Munster and, and Limerick aura. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think like the people's like for me, it's always like it's always about the people and like the people around you and how they make you feel. And um, I guess it's been yeah, it's been second done. Um, and then the other one has just been happy and yeah, like I said earlier, like I haven't even thought about kind of wanting to go home or anything like that. So it's obviously a good thing. Absolutely, Alex. We we've held you up for enough of your evening but thank you very very much for coming on because it's no it's worries. been a brilliant opportunity and an honour and we get to say this one last time for this week anyway to get to chat to a world champion is always great <laughs> it, it might have been clash of champions but listen world champion as far as we're confirmed so oh, thanks yeah. very much for coming on Alex no worries guys thanks for having me it's always thanks, good to Alex. have you and for those listening on the CSR podcast I'll be back with Six Nations coverage and for those on the Red Army podcast We'll be back with URC content coming up over the coming weeks. But that's all we have time for. My thanks to Patricia and Alex for a really enjoyable conversation, really enjoyable interview. And until next time, please do take it easy. Like, review, subscribe, do whatever you please. It's been good fun. Until next time, take it easy.